Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. Like, if you're Ole Miss, this would be the one. If you called up and got all these guys on, like, a truth serum, right? Said, hey, Nick Saban, who do you least want to see over at Ole Miss? Hey, Brian Kelly, who do you least want to see at Ole Miss? Wouldn't Deion Sanders be the guy? SI's Ross Gellinger. If they don't sign on, they can kiss a goodbye from 2026 and beyond. The next iteration of the playoff, they're not going to be involved. I mean, they. I can't imagine them being involved after pulling this. And SI's Pat Forty. We had Lane Kiffin. Short prep week. Big rivalry game. Your team just sucked on Saturday against Arkansas. And he spends three hours on Twitter lighting this dude up. Here's Pat, Russ, and Dan. All right, welcome to the pod. It is a rivalry week. Best time of the year. Get your petty insults. <laughs> Get your dog urinating touchdown celebrations. Oh, yeah. Get your tree poison. <laughs> Whatever it takes this week. Whatever it takes. Somebody, some fan, some probably overserved fan at some weekend family gathering is going to say or do something they wish they hadn't because their team lost. That's all part of the deal. Just don't shoot each other, people. No, don't do that. Definitely do not do that. And the Iron Bowl has been known to produce that sort of thing. Gunplay. We don't need to result to the, you know, you know revert to the steel. Go that route. <laughs> anyway, we'll get to that. Talk Michigan, Ohio State. We're going to talk uh, Lane Kiffin and Auburn. What happens if Lane leaves? Lane Kiffin scrapping with the media. Probably not watching the 10 o'clock news out of Columbus, Mississippi tonight, or maybe he is. We'll talk Notre Dame, USC. We got a whole bunch of stuff. We taped earlier, and now we're taping this last part, or the first part, later, because we waited for the ranking. So if we repeat ourselves at all, it's not because we're total idiots. Just we're partial idiots. But that's where we're at. But let's get to the rankings to start this. Georgia. One, Ohio State two, Michigan three, TCU four. No surprises. Here's where it gets slightly interesting. LSU five, Southern California is six, Alabama seven, Clemson eight, and the Ducks are nine. 
So look, you know, some obviously everybody, you know, Georgia wins, blah, 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 blah. The most interesting thing here is, of course, you know, this idea that what happens to the Michigan-Ohio State loser? Why does the committee not like Clemson? LSU has a loss to Florida State that Clemson won against. Uh, they both have kind of blowout losses. LSU's was to Tennessee and Clemson's was to Notre Dame. LSU's was at home. And uh, Boo Corrigan, our, our, our leader, our high priest, <laughs> our leader, <laughs> a rabbi, <laughs> he said that, uh, go ahead, <laughs> the, the Boo, the Boo spoke, and uh, he said that they liked the Alabama victory and the Mississippi victory, which uh, is interesting, Miss, Ole Miss now 20th. So, I don't know, they don't, they just don't like Clemson, they put Clemson in the friend zone. It's like Clemson's like yeah. like they play in the American, not the Atlantic Coast. What is happening? <laughs> well, it's it's a good point because uh, I did look at the transcript of Boo answering some questions, and uh, there are some uh, there's some umbrage taken on Clemson's behalf here. It's kind of funny. Clemson media but, was on there, yeah, yeah, clearly, clearly. But uh, I'm trying to find it here. This was uh, this was the friend zone comment for Clemson. Really good football team. I think yeah. they're trying to figure out what's, what stands out for them. Really good defensive line, really good defensively with what they've done. 6-1 against teams over 500. Again, I know this can sound repetitive, but in watching them, you're looking for something that makes them different, makes them stand out. In that respect, Coach Sweeney has done a great job, again, with this year's team, but the committee views them as the number eight team. In other words... We don't think they're that good, despite yeah, their record. That is like <laughs> he's nice. His mama raised yeah. him right. Yeah, that's yep. that's what that's all about. Friend zone, Ross is Clemson in the friend zone. What is it? Can they get out? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, it's going to take some some stuff for them to get out. They obviously don't uh, they don't control their their own destiny. You know, I uh, I think that I think that we could say that. They're they're one of the teams in the mix, and there's a possibility there. They certainly have a better shot than Alabama, you know. Even though Alabama's above, we talk about Alabama being above Clemson, but I, I I think at the end of the day, if Clemson does what it's supposed to do, beat South Carolina, a South Carolina team that just beat Tennessee, and that's helpful to Clemson for sure, and then goes on to, to have a conference championship. I mean, the committee's supposed to look at conference champions differently. So I think I think they get out. I think they can bump up, and I think they will. But they still, you know, to get in the four, you know, they need any TC to lose, and they need USC to lose, and uh, and they probably need Michigan to lose to Ohio State. Um, if those yeah, three I, things I, happen, I, and Clemson wins out, right? I I think they. I think only I think a couple they, things need to happen here. I think Georgia beats LSU, where they're going to be two touchdown favorites. Ohio State beats Michigan. Yeah. Let's say they cover by, I don't know, eight, 10. If those two things, and then, and then Notre Dame beats Southern Cal or right. One, or one of the other, or, USC or Oregon or TCU have to lose probably. Yeah. I don't think TCU, TCU move up to three and someone's got to be four. And so if, 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 if yeah. USC loses yeah. to Notre Dame this weekend mm -hmm. or to the Ducks, so they got mm -hmm. two, they're out. LSU yep. loses to Georgia, they're out. Man, yep. that's three losses. And if Michigan with no Michigan sitting around with one win against Penn State, and that's it. There's nobody else in the Big Ten that's even ranked 
Like, I mean, Georgia beating LSU is not an upset. Ohio State beating Michigan is not an upset. So it's really that Southern, and then TCU would move to three. Someone's got to be four. It's either Southern California with two losses. No, LSU with three, Alabama with two. Or or Michigan with one. Or Michigan with one. Clemson sitting there saying, bang, we're in. We we had that horrible night against Notre Dame, but look at this. I think Mm -hmm. their way to get out of the friend zone is all the cool guys that they really want to date, like transfer out of the school or go to jail, basically. (laughs) And there's nobody left except William Christopher riding in, little old Clemson. Not out of the question. I don't think they're out. I mean, the Tennessee loss was big for them. Definitely. That helped them. Yeah. Also, you could say it tangentially helped LSU because there was some discussion that, like, could you really take even an SEC champion LSU with two losses over a Tennessee team with one that beat them by 27 in Baton Rouge? Mm. Well, now the Tennessee roadblock's out of the equation. So I think the way is free and clear now. For LSU, win two games and you're in, period. Okay, so LSU win. I'm I'm going to agree, but I'm going to do devil's advocate here. Okay, LSU beats Georgia. Okay, Ohio State beats Michigan, or Michigan beats Ohio State. Really, Michigan's the weaker of the two on a resume. Yep. Ohio State does have this Notre Dame win, but they also have played nobody in the league. The league just let them down. Like Clemson's getting let down by the ACC. It's TCU that's actually like much better strength of schedule, which they'll. You know, if if need be, they'll forget about. Oh yeah, close losses coming close, from well, behind. Yeah, game control yeah. <laughs> or close wins. I'm okay, close but wins. Georgia. So, if LSU is in, do they get automatically get in over Georgia, even if they beat them? I mean, <laughs> I think Georgia's. I think all Georgia has to do is beat Georgia Tech, and Georgia is in. Yeah. So yeah. you'd have one loss, Georgia, not a conference champ. A, yep. uh, 12 and one better than 12 and one Southern California. Georgia yep. would have victories over the Ducks and what? A Tennessee and team. Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. And who else did they beat? That's that was their good. two big, that's their two quality ones. I mean, you know, now Southern South Carolina, California would have like, beaten the yeah, Ducks. I, mean, I don't know. Would have beaten mm-hmm. Notre Dame. Would have beaten UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, they better beat the Ducks by 46. Oregon State. They better beat the Ducks by 46 because Georgia did. I I don't know. You're going to have a common opponent there, and I think Georgia would win the common opponent game if it's it's them and USC. I guess. Yeah, they'd have to blow them out. I don't know. I don't. uh, It probably. I'm just trying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but what if Oregon. Yeah, what if they. (laughs) What if they beat Oregon by like 30 points? Then, yeah, yeah I mean, you look at their schedule uh, in the top 25 wins and all that stuff. Not that good. Probably pretty close. It's probably, they're probably pretty close to each other, I would guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, one have his conference championship and the other will not. So, wouldn't. You know. I, I would also dare to say that if Georgia were playing in the Pac-12, it would have a conference championship. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that's when they'll go to the football thing. That's why Alabama's <laughs> right. sitting at seven. They can't quit you. Right. They I, can't. <laughs> that's the one that that still just like, I find very interesting. They cannot quit Alabama, and they like, value oh, Alabama, beating Alabama. Yeah, that's why God. LSU is where they are. Mm, yeah, they love Alabama. I mean, yep. Alabama, man, two close losses. 
I, I don't know. This, let me put it this way. Right now, this is going to be fairly uh, easy. My my, this is what I expect to happen. Georgia wins out. Yep. Ohio State wins out. Yep. TCU wins out. Southern Cal wins out. We're done. Yeah. But yeah. this could get really crazy. Yeah. Where they're sitting around trying to talk themselves into their old their old flame, Alabama. <laughs> and <laughs> well, that I mean, because it's like all right. Like USC is going to be a small first. They're very, they're a small favorite against Notre Dame. Not sure they're going to win that game. They would be a small favorite or maybe even underdog against Oregon in a Pac-12 championship game. TCU is going to be a small favorite and is going to play a close game in the Big Twelve championship game and hell probably Kansas a close State, game against yeah. Iowa they State. They only play because, yeah they only play close. Yeah they only play close yeah. games. <laughs> not allowed to win by much. Right. So, I mean, it's not out of the question to think we could have many losses still to come for some of these teams. Yep. Remember TCU you and know? Kansas State played? There would be a rematch. They played earlier in the yeah. year. TCU won, uh, but I believe Kansas State, like all of TCU's games, I believe Kansas State had a lead uh, in the game. Kansas State was up 17 yeah, in the tw- second half, I believe. Yeah, twenty. so halftime it was 28-17 to 17, Kansas State led. And TCU came all the way back, shut out Kansas State in the second half. So that'll be a rematch of the Big 12 title game. That's good. It's going to be interesting. I mean, yeah. I, the, the and again, these guys got not – we're only doing like 10 minutes on this, and we're already – I had to make up stuff. So <laughs> uh, all due respect to Reese Davis and the crew. But Reese Davis was like, well, Clemson doesn't look as good as last year. It's like, that's not a criteria. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> like, wait, does that matter? Uh, all right well i don't know we'll see keep trying there william christopher you can do it you can get out of the friend zone they say you can never get out of the friend zone you might be able to the dashingly handsome clemson tigers (laughs) to get their swagger back so once they lost the long locks the quarterback yeah yeah yeah, committee's just like, eh. <laughs> All right, let's get to a game on rivalry week that won't be happening. Uh, Virginia Tech and Virginia, the game is uh, called off. Uh, I wondered how they were going to do this. The, the murder of three Virginia players. I just I just wondered how they were going to do it. And uh, good on both schools, and particularly on Virginia, maybe, you know, just saying, hey, we just don't need to do this. Uh, obviously, we love college football here, and we love rivalries, and we've loved the Virginia Virginia Tech rivalry for a lot of years. We argued about the the two mascots fighting over the chicken wing, which is what the state of Virginia <laughs> outline looks like. But this uh, this needs time, and uh, there's not going to be a game this weekend. Pat, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I mean. I don't can't say there's a right or wrong answer, but this feels like probably the thing to do, you know, just for the the devastation at Virginia. You just can't compartmentalize and put that away and say, okay, let's go play football. And I think Virginia Tech was very sensitive to that as well. And, you know, it just there's some things that are bigger than playing a game and there's going to be a need a lot of healing at Virginia. One other thing I, I did want to touch on. Is just the ancillary ripple effects of this devastating thing. Obviously, obviously, you know, what's happened to those families of those three players is, is 
you know, horrendous beyond words and their Thanksgiving's just going to be, you know, shattered and they're really their lives going forward for who knows how long, but down the line, much less important, but let's also think of this, not playing this game means some football careers just ended like because a guy, a madman took a gun onto a bus and shot people that there are players at Virginia tech and there are players at Virginia who didn't have a senior day didn't get to run out onto the field one last time, didn't get to have their parents there and get greeted by them and, and have that one last moment in college. And there's a lot of guys on both those teams that will not play professional football. So again, nowhere near as important, but the ripple effects that go on kind of away from the main tragedy are significant. Yeah. And, you know, we, we talked about it on the pod earlier uh, this week, but um you know, I spent some time down there, and I, I figured they might try to play just a big rivalry game and maybe that they would almost need to play to get to get past it. You hear, like, you know, refocus and get your mind off of things. But I've ended up finding out yesterday, you know, there are private memorial services for these players. And mo- a lot of them will be coming this week and maybe even over the weekend at their respective probably hometowns. And there's a lot of players and staff that are going to be there. They're gonna they're gonna try to go to those those services, and so I think that was probably what the the biggest factor in in the uh, in the cancellation. Yeah, absolutely horrible. All right, one game that will be played, although really you never know until they kick it off. The Egg Bowl, always a <laughs> always a treat. Thanksgiving night, it's a window into Mississippi crazy, just a certain level of crazy. Ross uh, detailed the numerous uh, Egg Bowl things this week in a story. It added some spice on Monday night when John Sokoloff, a reporter for WCBI News out of Columbus, Mississippi, Northeast Mississippi, kind of close to Starkville, though, reported that sources told him that Lane Kiffin was planning on resigning Friday and will become the head coach at Auburn. Now, Auburn has a game Saturday, so I don't know about the timeline. The Lane Kiffin, I remember seeing this and thinking, okay, well, this won't take long for old Lane to come back. Or if he says nothing, you can pretty sure, I mean, you know, it's not like Lane's not on Twitter most of the day. Um, Sure enough, Lane comes back and (laughs) says, that's news to me. Nice sources. He then puts out a, a his own report saying John Sokoloff <laughs> is leaving WCBI to take the lead anchor job at WLOX down in Biloxi, uh, citing his own sources, uh, which was hysterical, which then led to the guy who has the job at WLOX being like, hey, what the, what the hell, man? I didn't know I was getting fired. <laughs> That's a joke. And so it all spins. And it was a good time. But we'll wait and see whether John Sokolov is correct because this is, could be like reporting someone is dead. Eventually, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Nailed it. Except for the famous Jerusalem Post story of Jesus' death, <laughs> which got some po- had a nasty correction in the paper three days later. What the hell? You know, that's a bad day for report. I saw the stone cover the I don't he, he I saw it myself, boss. Why not? Nah, he's walking around. He's walking around. You tell me he's dead, he's not dead. You reported it, not true. Uh anyway, <laughs> is Lane Giffen going to Auburn either Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or whenever? Ross, your thoughts on uh this little 
little spice to the already spicy egg bowl. Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it. Like, um, you know, you're reporting somebody is dead and eventually being right. Uh, at some point, you're going to be right. You know, we, we deal with this every year, it feels like. Um, whether it's TV reporter, radio, broadcaster, blogger, you know, has insight into the program, into the people, and reports something that has been speculated for days and weeks, if not months. And, you know, days later, sometimes they're right. Days later, sometimes they're wrong. Um, I think it's one of the, I think it's a tricky situation, as both of you know, you know, it's kind of like a, a domino game, these coaching carousels where one opening or one decision starts tumbling the domino, toppling the dominoes in just because, you know, four, three days before Thanksgiving, there's, you know, talk in serious talk between a coach and a school it doesn't mean that coach and school are going to end up together. I think we, we've seen it over and over and over again. Uh, I'm just going to go back to 2016 when LSU and Tom Herman had basically verbally agreed, like Tom Herman is going to become LSU's coach. They were going to go get him the next morning. But sometimes things happen, again, in the domino game where that changes. And, you know, obviously Texas job open and Tom went to to Texas. Uh, I, I think there's a situation here where, you know, there's a lot of speculation and I'll smoke around it. But sometimes at the end of the of the day, like it doesn't happen. It might, you know, might be on the way to happening, but it can be derailed. Uh, and we've seen it happen over and over again. And that feels like it feels like there's a jumping the gun early situation here. I, I don't know. John Sokoloff, he might be a fine reporter, but I'm going to read the sum total of his story that is posted on the WCBI website. It's four sentences. The first sentence says, Sources say Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin is planning to step down Friday and become the next head coach of Auburn. The second sentence, Moments ago, sources in the Ole Miss athletic department denied that report. So we've got conflict right there. He's reporting this, and then the second sentence is people denying his own report. The third sentence... Sources close to Auburn say they have not offered the head coaching job to anyone at this time. So we got three sentences of complete conflict. <laughs> then the fourth sentence, Ole Miss and Mississippi State play in the annual Egg Bowl on Thursday. Auburn faces Alabama in the annual Iron Bowl this Saturday. That's it. That's all we got. And it's like it's a mess of a story. So, uh, I, yes, I think this could eventually be correct. I don't think it was necessarily reportable on Monday night. And then, of course, we had Lane Kiffin. Short <laughs> short prep week. Big rivalry game. Your team just sucked on Saturday against Arkansas. And he spends three hours on Twitter lighting this dude up. <laughs> he put a picture out of a gravestone, with, and it said, John Sokolov's career. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. So a little inside baseball for reporters, for those that, okay, we've all learned this uh, often the hard way. Yeah. It's not done until it's done, as Ross yep, kind of said. You and you yep. relearn to report these. And there's a yep. reason why there's certain reporters you take it to the bank because you've learned that there's a process and you wait. 
because you don't want to be wrong or you don't want to be like, that's a sleepless, that's a sleepless night right now. If you're out on that limb, is he going? He might wouldn't be surprised at all. Right. I will not be the head next head coach at the university of Alabama. Right. We heard it right from Nick Saban's mouth. Interestingly, he's the head in the, yeah, right. (laughs) You don't know. And when you have sources and you're going one source and you're going this early, Woo. And yeah. that source better be Lane Kiffin. And even then, you're trusting Lane right. Kiffin to not change <laughs> his mind. So as a reporter, you wait, generally. Now, again, he might be wrong. I, I will tip my cap. Love it, right? I, don't, I do not care. I have no dog in this fight. I hope he's, just as a reporter, I hope he's kind of right because, man, what a miserable Thanksgiving that's going to be. But yeah. there's a reason why... It's just, man, we got them, right? It's a some associate AD. We're going to get them. We got them. It's done. Is it? Wait, wait, wait. Is it done? Because where's Jimmy Sexton? Where's Lane? Where? Like, you got to cover your bases on this. And, you know, again, the timeline. They're going to announce Lane Kiffin on Friday, the day before the Iron Bowl? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> no, there. Well, I mean, that would be the meanest thing to do to Cadillac Williams. Yeah. And, and why you just want to lose? Like, you can't do that. So no. that alone was like, I'm like, Friday? Uh, he may plan on resigning Sunday. but on, So we'll see. But I, I, I saw that report, and I was like, I cannot wait to see what Lane comes up with. And boy, was he on fire. Yeah. So this, you know, yeah. then you got the Ole Miss plant fans being, this guy's planting it because it's going to distract Lane. And Mike Leach doesn't have this. Right? It's so great. It's so great. <laughs> So, yes, from like 8.30 p.m. till 11.40 p.m. or whatever, Lane's firing <laughs> off tweets. 72 hours out from the Egg Bowl. I mean, it's <laughs> incredible. So and, and, like, and Ross knows better than any of us, but we all know. Like, the Egg Bowl is its own brand of crazy and everything that goes with it. And now this is just one more layer to this week. I, I That state's just going to be I, it's going to be crazy down there all week. It's it's what they got. It's what they got, Ross. It's what they got. That's indeed. That's right. There's not a whole. There's not a professional team, and uh, that's it, man. It's all about. It's all about this game. I have a really quick story about. Uh, well, there's a lot of stories, but I'm going to pick one real quick uh, on how and the importance of the game. I remember Houston Nutt telling me. I think it was his first year at Ole Miss, I believe, and he took him. You guys remember he took over. You know. And he took him to uh, to go for Ed Orgeron. It was a disaster. And he and he uh, took him to an egg, a, a Cotton Bowl first year, I believe. Uh, they were like nine and three or something. And uh, that off season, he was going around the state at like an event or whatever. In one at at some of restaurant or something, he's in some small little Mississippi town, and like a woman comes up to him and, "Hey, coach, you know." Great first year. We appreciate the Cotton Bowl. You know, it was awesome and whatever, but. You lost the egg bowl, and we can't have that happening here at Ole Miss, you know. And it just—he's like, "What?" He's like, "Are you kidding me?" I just fuck. And then later on that night, a, a, a man did the same thing. The man came up. He said it didn't even mention the Cotton Bowl. Just said, "Hey, you know, you lost to the ref. You lost to the Bulldogs, coach. We don't do that around here now, you know." I mean, it's just—it's—it's just—it's all or nothing, man. It's—it's it's all or nothing. Win the national title, but if you lose the egg bowl, you're out. It, it, it actually was better when both programs stunk. <laughs> right. They broadcast this thing and 
both teams are like three and seven or something. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> and, and there's just like, this, this, oh my, the place is jammed and we got to win the damn Egg Bowl. And it's like, what? Yeah. The, what is this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh, it's a great, it's a great one. All right. Well, we'll talk more Egg Bowl later. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, so here's an interesting one. If if Kiffin goes to Auburn, who does Ole Miss hire? Okay? And the the most obvious, at least to me, but may not be to the Ole Miss people in charge or the boosters, would be, hey, I wonder if there's a coach in our state doing amazing things at the uh, FCS level and would be an unbelievable recruiter and draw enormous attention and make everybody in the SEC completely nervous because he can start picking off five-star recruits anywhere and wall off our state. Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, is right there at Jackson. Now, if you know the history of colleges in, in Mississippi, the idea of Jackson State basically was the one of the greatest football programs of all time because Ole Miss wouldn't recruit African-Americans, and they got all these great players from from uh, from Mississippi to go there. Uh, then they started. But bringing in Coach Prime would just be like an, an amazing twist. I don't know if that war- is the best spot for Deion Sanders or not. I don't know if he would be. I, I don't know if he fits or not. Ross, do you think Deion Sanders would fit there? But like we talked about, would Auburn hire him? Like, if you're Ole Miss, this would be the one, if you called up and got all these guys on, like, a truth serum, right? Said, hey, Nick Saban, who do you least want to see over at Ole Miss? Hey, Brian Kelly, who do you least want to see at Ole Miss? Wouldn't Deion Sanders be the guy? Yeah, and and I think maybe so. And I, I think that if you're Ole Miss, just like Mississippi State, maybe even Arkansas, a lot of the a lot of the mid to lower tier power fives, if, you know, you, you got to do something different. You're not going to get, you're probably not going to get the the best talent, you know, especially compared to your conference mates, like the LSUs and the Alabamas and the Auburns and Georgias. But so you kind of need to do something different. And boy, Dion would be different. Uh, and he would probably get you some of that talent that, that you, uh, that you might not be able to get some of that talent that instead would go to, Maybe to go to Ole Miss to play for him instead of instead of Alabama, instead of Georgia, instead of LSU. So you got to be different. I could see, uh, you know, I think that uh, Dion is a would be a candidate there. Uh, I don't know that he'd be the top candidate, um, but I I would imagine that they would look into that because again, if you're you know Ole Miss and Mississippi State historically, you need to be different. You need to have something different that is attractive. To, to athletes and, and Dion would definitely be that guy, but it would be in a lot of ways, it would be quite a story, right? Because like you mentioned, you know, he's, he's in the swack, he's built up the swack and, and he's, um, he has talked quite a bit 
about the inequities in the SWAC. And now he's going to like the richest conference there is in college in college football with, you know, uh, in the SEC. And not only that, but he's going to a place that just 15, 18 years ago had a, a colonel as a white, a white colonel, mustachioed, bearded white colonel as a as a mascot running around the sidelines. And just 20 years ago or so, they played Dixie. The band played Dixie uh, and waved rebel flags in the stands. So it it would be quite a story if uh, if this one fold. I think there's probably some names above Dion's for that job, but I think he's on the list. Like like who and why? That like I I get like this. Well, we're like it wouldn't fit culturally. Like I I kind of it's sort of like if if he doesn't fit, then that's on you. Yeah. I think the thing that scares people about Dion, well, there's there's a lot of things, I think. Number one, I think athletic directors, uh, and we talked about this on the show before, right? It, he, you're hiring a celebrity. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a different type of managing a coach. You're, you're, you're managing a celebrity. He's got a marketing team. He's got a bunch of agents. He does what he wants. He does the videos. He does the tweeting. He does whatever. And, and the thing is, is Lane... Lane does a lot of this too. You know, it, it's funny because in a lot of ways, they're similar in a yeah. lot of ways and they're similar to manage in a lot of ways because Lane, I know, is not the easiest for an athletic director or boss to manage either. But, but Dion's a whole another world in a lot of ways. I mean, you're hiring a celebrity. So that's number one. But number two, you know, he's been a, he's been a college coach for three years. And I think that scares a lot of people. I, I, you know, there's not a whole lot of, have, has he proven whatever, you know, he, he doesn't have the experience in college, blah, blah, blah. So, I think there's a lot, uh, there's there's a few reasons there. Those are the re- some of the reasons I think that he wouldn't be number one. Well, I I, I think to to Dan's point, yeah, like I, I'm not disputing anything Ross is saying, but I I think that you you might be looking too hard for reasons not to hire him if if someone's yeah. like, oh, he's a diva. Oh, okay, who's your coach now, Lane? <laughs> oh, okay, yep. Okay, no, yeah. he's an African American diva. That's yeah. yes, yeah. that's and right, I, and, and that's and part of it too, right? Like I, I right. don't I don't want to get too it, uh, deep into that, but I mean, think about like I, I again do. the history of Ole Miss in the boosters there. That's, How are they going to? I remember this. I remember. Sorry, Pat. Real quick, I remember when I was at Mississippi State and they hired Sylvester Croom in Mississippi State. Boosters, some of the big boosters of Mississippi State, pulled their funding, pulled their donations from the school. That, you, you can bet, and it's sad, but you can sad. bet that administration at Ole Miss has got to be thinking about that. They don't want funding pulled, you know. And not, not to say that's twenty years ago now that that happened, but I'm just just saying that that probably is a that's a certainly a consideration. That's from a history and symbolism standpoint. <sighs> yeah, this would be an extremely powerful move. I mean. You got to make sure he's the right guy. But think about this. James Meredith was at Jackson State University, Jackson State College, actually, 60 years ago. And he kept applying to Ole Miss, and he kept being rejected. Finally, the Supreme Court stepped in and said, you need to let James Meredith in your school. And 60 years ago, fighting through protests and some of it violent outside the school, James Meredith broke the color barrier at the University of Mississippi. If you go and hire a guy from Jackson State at a school that has gone come a long way getting past a pretty shameful racial history, that would that would be a big 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 step towards saying 
we are no longer that school. In a lot of ways, they already are not, obviously. But this would, would be a huge, huge uh, step, I think. Uh, no, I think there'll be an enormous amount of alums that would be thrilled, fired up. And it's my assumption and maybe a prejudicial assumption that there are some that won't. I don't know. Right? I think we're all sitting there going, well, there's some old guy. And it's like, I don't know that that guy exists or not. I'm assuming it because... History tells me that there probably is, but I don't know. And at some point, you got to say, hey, we're, we're, we're done with that. Take your money. You threatened when we put, got the flag away and we did. Deal with it. You know what we're going to do? We're going to win. I mean, it's, a, it, it's just an interesting story. But honestly, if you're old Miss and you can get this guy, I mean, what are we talking about? You're undefeated. They're going to have the first undefeated season in the history of, of Jackson State. They have got a bunch of kids he's going to bring. His son oh, yeah. is a great quarterback. He's, too, Travis yeah. Hunter Jr. Yeah. last week had a pick six and a ridiculous touchdown catch. They're going to recruit. Like, the whole paradigm changes if Deion Sanders is sitting at Ole Miss. And so it's like, if this is a no... If there's someone saying, I don't know, they need to look in the mirror and say, why really? You hired Lane Kiffin. You can't, I, Sylvester Croom was a guy, just a tremendous person, but he he was from a era where you kind of had to stay in your lane a little bit, right? And he was a great coach. And, and Dion came along and, and just, there is no, colored outside the lines the whole time. And, and, and so, and he's coloring outside the lines now, but are you, I mean, what, what are we looking for? You're going to sit there and be, well, we can get the, you know, we can get uh, the old line coach from over here or we can get, you know, we're looking, I mean, this guy could change everything. So it's, this is, if Ole Miss opens and Ole Miss doesn't at least talk to Deion Sanders, I'm going to be like, man, I don't know. I don't know. So, all right. I want to get to the big one, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, and we'll kind of break down the game more on race for the case later this week. But the storylines here are, are delicious. This will be the most watched game of the year, at least the regular season. Two teams are undefeated. Two teams have a shot at the Big Ten. Two teams have a shot at the playoff and all that. And yet those aren't even the most fascinating parts of the game in a lot of ways. Maybe for, you know, I don't know. I don't think Michigan win the national championship. Maybe Ohio State can, but we'll see. But to me, the the juiciest part of this is the pecking order here. For a long time, Ohio State's killing them, and then Michigan beats them. And it's sort of like, hey, look, Michigan's going to win eventually, right? So you can't win like 20 in a row on your rival, uh, although Ohio State tried. But eventually, but it was the way Michigan won. And then the way Michigan came back this year with – the same system, perhaps even better, and is geared up to play Ohio State. They are built to try to beat Ohio State. They are not going to try to out-athlete them like they used to when they were trying to cover crossing routes with linebackers and were getting smoked by 35 points. Mm -hmm. It's straight up, unapologetic. Here we come. We are going to smash mouth football you. We are going to be tougher. We are going to be more physical. We are going to impose your will on both sides of the line. And this is how we're going to win the game. And Harbaugh, it, it's the system. He's back to Stanford football. It's working, obviously. 
23 and two in the last 25. Ryan Day, quick reaction, right? Spends 1.9 million, brings Jim Knowles in to, to shore up the defense, make it tougher. Here we go. This game, though, if last year Harbaugh was desperate to win because it it eliminated the endless jokes that he'll and really the perception that his time at Michigan was a complete failure, even though it wasn't a complete failure, they were still pretty darn good. I think Ryan Day desperately needs this one. If you can be, he's like, I see, like forty-five and four or four. So he's won. They've lost one regular season Big Ten game. They lost to Oregon in the non-conference last year. Not, you know, but how much does Ryan Day need this? Because I think if Michigan wins a second time, if Michigan comes in with this team, less talent, but an old school mentality and beats an, an, an enormously talented Buckeye team in Columbus, like a guy with like a 90% winning percentage is all of a sudden the whole program's rattled. Like, I just think this is just a monstrous event here. Pat? I'm with you. No, I think so. And you could almost hear it from Ryan Day in July at Big Ten Media Days. You know, I mean, like the sense that last year was a failure and, you know, can't let that happen again that, you know, the, (laughs) the expectations are set so high at Ohio State, that you win the Big Ten, you beat Michigan, you compete for the national title, and this year's team, everybody looked at it on paper and said from the get-go, this is our year, this is our chance to win a national title. We're certainly going to be better than Michigan, which lost several NFL draft picks off the defense, right? Three mm-hmm. first-rounders. Right. Well, now here we are, and it, it uh, it's a pretty compelling matchup on paper. I still think... Ohio State is probably better, and we'll get to the game a whole lot more. But there is, for a guy with Ryan Day's record, there's a lot of urgency, I think, on them and on on this team to to win the game. We've talked about this a little bit just throughout the year, but I'm just excited to to watch the the two two teams that are kind of built differently, you know, go against each other and play a – they play just a, a really different style of football. You know, Michigan is kind of more your your throwback team that runs the football. And, you know, I don't know what Blake Corum's status is. I saw Harbaugh said he, he didn't have an update. But um, that obviously looms looms large because they, they run the ball and run the ball well. I mean, they're, I think they're top 12 or so in rushing nationally, like almost 250 yards a game. And then, of course, Michigan is one of the top teams in in passing in the nation. So there's two really conflicting, differing styles of play here by by these teams, and I'm excited to see that. And we we obviously we saw that last year, and we saw Michigan's style come come out uh, ahead. But it's it's fun to to kind of see these teams and the way they're built, and they have the same record. They just they get the wins, but they they do it kind of in in different styles and. Uh, yeah, should be an exciting one in the horseshoe. Michigan obviously has to have Corum back. Yeah, uh, Michigan's going to need. I mean, Ohio State's a better team. They have better players. They have more really good players, which is part of it. They need Corum back. They did not play Saturday without play Corum in the second half. Donovan Edwards the whole game. Tight end Luke Schoonmaker the whole game. He is the a key safety valve player for. J.J. McCarthy, who has struggled to throw the ball downfield. They did not have Mike Morse, their best pass rusher. So they were severely limited against Illinois. 
And I think that played a huge role in why that game was close. But if they are all back, and I think they need to be, do not bet this game until 1130 on Saturday. Find yeah. out the weather and find out who the heck's warming up. Yep. For, for, and for Ohio State, too, because they got running back injuries. Right. Trayvon Henderson, is he playing? Right. What's going on? And is it windy as heck? We saw they, uh, they could not throw the ball at, at Northwestern. C.J. Stroud's ability to be accurate is, is huge. He was not against Michigan last year. Part of that was pass rush. Part of it was it started to snow. But, like, look, if if it's Stroud to Harrison Jr., Ohio State's going to win. But Ohio State's built to try to beat Alabama and Clemson, and Michigan's beat is, is built to beat Michigan, uh, beat Ohio State. I just – the game just has a, just enormous impact on how both programs are viewed, perhaps recruiting-wise. Ohio State recruits much better than Michigan, but does it – you know, does it Michigan just sort of finds players? I don't, you know, I don't even know. You know, they just uh, you say they don't recruit well, and then every year they get all these guys. They recruit okay, they recruit well. They just you don't sit there and go, My God, what a class. But then at the end of the day, you're listing off dudes who are <laughs> really good football players. So is it there? But they don't have the high end guys. I think Ryan Day needs this one desperately. And, and I don't think you can go on a on a hot seat, but man, there'll be some grumbling. In Columbus, if uh, if this doesn't pan out quite like that, so it's it's a huge one. Yeah, he was handed everything by Urban Meyer, and that's why Jim Harbaugh made his third base comment last year, which he he wanted no part of this year. He he's, he's trying to just put keep that storyline at bay. Well, he but- did he did say something on Detroit Sports Radio ninety seven won the ticket on Tuesday morning. Mm. He did admit that it was a counterpunch to to the reports that Ryan Day was saying we want to hang a hundred uh, on Michigan. Okay. Now he's yep. you know you started it, I started it, like whatever. Doesn't matter. Yeah. It's Michigan. Now he's talking about oh we have great respect for this rival. We, what an right. honor it is to play Ohio State. Mm. There's no need to hate. Yeah. If you no think hate. any guy who grew up in Ann Arbor, the son <laughs> of a Michigan football coach who played at Michigan <laughs> Who once guaranteed a victory and did it, won two as a starter, and then returned to settle family business and get Michigan back to Ohio State's level? Doesn't hate the Buckeyes? <laughs> sure. He does. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> sure. the, the point, I think there was also, that was a bit of an oblique shot at East Lansing, too. You know, like well, we, can yeah, have but- a, we can have a rivalry without hate with Ohio State, even though it's not without hate. But I think the point is, you know, with 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 the tunnel assault that happened, that that rivalry has gotten too toxic. Mm. But anyhow, no, you're right. Look, Ryan Day walked into a phenomenal job and has done very well in that phenomenal job, but he hadn't gotten them to a national championship yet, and that's the expectation there. I mean, now it's been. I mean, Urban Meyer won one in 2014. They've made the playoff other times. They really haven't come close to winning a championship because they got absolutely smoked in 2020 by a juggernaut Alabama team in the championship game. Uh, And other than that, they've lost in the semifinals. So they have gotten the program up to a level that very, very few can get to, but they haven't gotten to the top under Ryan Day yet, and people are aware of that. Dan, you mentioned the weather. I was curious. I looked it up. It's supposed to be rainy and uh, about 45 degrees, so... Uh, that should be that should be wonderful. Uh, Pat uh, Pat's heading to Columbus, and I get in L.A. where it's supposed to be seventy degrees at uh, 
at kickoff mm. out there for USC Notre Dame. Well, Ross, let me uh, school you, uh, your Gulf Coast self on this. <laughs> um, 45 and rainy is actually, people are saying, oh, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that is not considered bad. It's the wind may be a factor, but believe me, Pat and I were talking before the show, is it going to snow as we try to drive there? Mm-hmm. That, yeah. yeah, if it's not snowing, uh, we ain't that worried about it. So 45 right. and rainy for the... The Michigan-Ohio State game is always played under clouds. I don't believe the sun has ever shone on the Michigan. Go back and watch any game. You watch like those old, whatever highlight you want, right? Hey, it's uh, Charles Woodson returning a punt. It's gray. Uh, You know, they carry (laughs) Woody beats Bo. It's it's gray. Not allowed to have sun. It is an ordinance in the states of Ohio and Michigan, so. A little rain. We'll see. The wind's going to be back. Let's talk about this game you've got in L.A. Also yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Okay? Not just because we'll get to the game. USC can make the playoff. But why? USC can make the playoff in the first year under Lincoln Riley. Potentially the greatest coaching hire we've ever seen in one year. Small sample size. Like, USC was a disaster. It's muddling along, and they go and sh- they they go for the home run shot. Get Lincoln Riley, who brings Caleb Williams, who could win the Heisman Trophy on Saturday night. I would believe. Certainly, he and CJ are going to have a very interesting little. Who does more? Mm-hmm. I would rather be the passer in the seventy degree weather. <laughs> what this means for 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 that program and what he's going to build going forward, and then this is going to be a Huge game, another huge game for Marcus Freeman, who about a month and a half or, you know, five weeks into the season, people were like, well, you got to give him some time. But there was at least that creeping into the back of the mind of Notre Dame fans. Did did will this guy ever be a good coach? Can he really do it? And again, first year, 35 years old, you don't hire that guy and expect a finished product. But boy, he can make an incredible statement. If he actually finishes his year winning out, including beating Clemson and then USC, and this will be a hugely watched football. This could be a 10 million viewer game as well. Massive deal for two first year coaches that arrived in very different circumstances. What do you think, Ross? Yeah, it's it's uh, it truly is amazing what what Lincoln Riley has done with USC in, in a year, and it and it's probably the new way that. The new era, you know, it's indicative of the new era that we're in with NIL in the transfer portal, in the the one-time transfer exception where, where players can play immediately, move around and play immediately. Because that's what happened here. You know, he, he plucked off a few Oklahoma players, plucked off uh, one of the best receivers in the nation from, from Pitt, and obviously the best, arguably the best quarterback in the nation from Oklahoma. And he's assembled, uh, he's assembled a, a crew of... Uh, of transfers and within a year got them to to gel pretty well and uh, to win games and you know their defense isn't great it it has struggled but their offense is good enough mostly with a lot of these transfers these skill players to uh, outscore people and and that's what they're doing they're just they're just outscoring people so it's indicative of the transfer portal era but it's also indicative of of the style of play we're seeing in in college football the last you know eight to ten years or so where you can have 
even a, a bad defense, you know, you know, you hear the defense wins championships thing, and maybe that catches up to USC in the playoffs if they get there. But right now, in the regular season, they're just able to outscore people, score more points with a bunch of transfers. So it's been impressive to watch. Um, there was a lot of questions about teams that pull in a lot of transfers, like the LSUs and the Ole Misses in the USC's. Are they going to be able to gel, you know, in a year? And man, look at those three schools. I mean, eight and three, nine and two, ten and one. Just really impressive. They've, they've been able to uh, not have uh, not have issues despite all the new players. Okay, let me add one more to that. Is we just talked about Michigan. Oh yeah, their center Olu yeah. Ula Timmy is an incredible player from from Virginia who transferred in for one year and. Uh, anchors that dominant offensive line. So I agree. The the transfers have changed everything in this sport, and it is not, for all the moaning, it has not been, been such a disaster. Pat, go ahead. Yeah. Well, Dan Wetzel, I want you to pay attention here, okay, because you said that Lincoln Riley maybe has had the greatest one-year turnaround coaching job ever. Are you familiar with the name Sonny Dykes? <laughs> oh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot I, of them. Yeah. No, that's the point. I, I wrote it in the 40-yard dash yeah, this week. Uh, Six Brian. of the top 13 teams in the AP poll are coached by first-year coaches. It's unbelievable. And that's what you can do nowadays with the transfers. Almost all of them brought in new quarterbacks, right? All right. Uh, Lincoln Riley obviously did. Dan Lanning did, bringing in Bo Nix. Michael Penix and Kalen DeBoer come in at Washington. Sonny Dykes kept the, the same quarterbacks, just made them a lot better. Uh, Marcus Freeman is doing it largely with defense, special teams, and uh, enough offense. Mm. Um, but, you know, it is it it is a new era where you don't, and this is going to be hard for some other coaches that, that take over programs. You're like, well, we need some time. Uh, there's now a whole lot of evidence that maybe you don't need time if you bring in, A, a really sharp guy and a, a, a an infusion of talent right away. And that's the thing at USC, It's it they do have the quarterback. They brought in two or three running backs from within the Pac-12. They brought in receivers from all over, but also their leading tackler is from Alabama. Their leader in passes broken up is from Colorado. So Lincoln Riley brought it all together and uh, baked a beautiful cake very quickly. And as far as that game, it's going to be fascinating. It really is. I'm probably a little bit colored by having seen USC get just totally unable to stop Utah late in that game, and we can get into that, but I could see Notre Dame's physicality being a problem as that game wears on. So it's Kelly, DeBoer, Freeman. Brian Kelly, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riley, Dan Lanning, huh. and any who else? And Sonny Dykes and, and Sonny Marcus Dykes, Freeman. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say Sonny Dykes did do the best job then. Yeah. That it's team's just, just well-coached, man. That team is well-coached. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, it's exciting. I uh, yeah, the transfer portal, uh, as we predicted, will not ruin college football. That's right. Stop trying to come up with legislation. <laughs> uh oh. Once again, you're all wrong. Uh oh. I'm not going to go down this way. It's it's fast. I'm going to swing briefly to another building. rant, and I'm going to sp- I'm sparing Uh-oh. everyone the rant. But Ross, you reported a little bit on this uh, Rose Bowl blocking oh. the uh, playoff situation. Uh, what's the latest? Uh, have we told the the Rose Bowl to go pound its sunset into the Well, I, yeah, I think so. The CFP, so I, I think they resolved all the issues needed to expand early in 2024. They've got 
the revenue distribution model has been agreed to. I don't think that was ever going to be a real big hurdle. The schedule, which we talked about and I reported about a month ago, has basically been set around the NFL games and some competing with the NFL. And those are the two biggest things along with the bowl contracts, you know. So the CFP, ESPN, in the six New Year's Six Bowls are all in a contract that runs through the 2025 season, and they need all of those entities, the CFP, ESPN, in the Six Bowls to sign on to expand the playoff before the contract ends. And they've got everybody on board, right? The CFP is on board. The president's voted back in September 2nd. ESPN sounds like it's on board. All the bowls except one are on board. The Rose Bowl is holding out because it wants, basically, you know, it's gonna, it wants to keep its date and time without getting into details. It wants to host a second game when it when it hosts a semifinal or quarterfinal that doesn't fall on New Year's Day. It wants to host a Rose Bowl, like a regular Rose Bowl game, to keep its date and time on New Year's Day at at 2 p.m. Pacific time. And presidents met last week, crossed off all of these hurdles, got to the Rose Bowl, and I think decided to say, okay, you know, we're we're not, we can't promise you anything past 2025 because we don't have a contract, we don't have details, we don't have any, we we don't have anything, so we can't guarantee you. Uh, your spot, your exclusive window, and that's another thing. They want an exclusive window where there's no playoff games at that time. Of course. So they said, you know, we can't promise you all that. Here's your deadline to sign on for early expansion. Either you don't and we don't expand early, or either you do and we expand early. The thing is, I, I just this is just crazy by the Rose Bowl. I, I can't I can't wrap my mind around this because if they don't sign on they can kiss it goodbye from 2026 and beyond the next iteration of the playoff. They're not going to be involved. I mean, they, I can't imagine them being involved after pulling this, after holding college football back from expanding early. So they have a deadline. I don't know exactly what the deadline is. I've been told a couple of different dates, so I don't know. I didn't really, didn't really throw any of those dates out there, but they've been kind of given a deadline to, hey, you're in or you're out. Well, I, I can tell you the Rose Bowl is awesome. Great place to watch college football. Good thing there isn't like a $6 billion new state-of-the-art stadium in Los Angeles that they could also play playoff games there. Uh, Or Vegas. If I was the Rose Bowl, that would concern me Mm -hmm. if it was the, you know, uh, nicest state where they're literally playing the title game this year, right? Yeah, well, and that's a good point. Let me me say one thing, Dan, about that. That's a good point. I was speaking with some bowl people yesterday, like, hey, if the Rose Bowl decides against this and, and won't expand early and then they get cut out, of the next iteration of the playoff, which I'd imagine they would, who fills the spot? What bowl game? You know, Citrus was mentioned, Gator Bowl was mentioned, and then, of course, somebody mentioned the new stadium in L.A., the new stadium in Las Vegas, you know? Sure. Obviously, it's rivalry week, and we're getting a lot of football in, but uh, two quick stories I got to get to. One, this is, uh, this one's crazy. Pat, you're a fisherman. You're a big fisherman. Uh, I don't Mm -hmm. fish much anymore, but... I don't know if you saw this New York Post. A fisherman in England caught the world record largest goldfish. (laughs) Okay. We're all familiar with the goldfish. I think probably everyone's had a goldfish at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I had one, but I had my kids did. We had a we had a funeral once in the backyard for our goldfish. 
no pets die faster than goldfish. It's the only funeral I've 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 uh, led the proceedings. We buried them. Well, a fisherman lands and uh, a sixty-seven pound goldfish. What? <laughs> I just called it up. I'm looking at oh, it. Oh, okay. It Come doesn't on. look real. No, it doesn't look real. It it, it is. First off, the Daily Mail reported it and the Post. So if those oh, well, two then, say it happened. Oh, well, then. <laughs> if the Daily those Mail my, says it happened, then. Uh, it is nearly oh a 70 God. pound. They nickname it in this. It's in, uh, actually, it's in France. Oh, my God. I'm sorry, but he, he's from England. They <laughs> This this fish, the, the goldfish is famous. He's known as the carrot. Because he's obviously this massive, <laughs> massive orange thing going around uh <laughs> <laughs> the Blue Water Lakes in Champagne, France. Oh, and he caught he caught the carrot, got his picture, and then and then out of respect to the carrot, sent him back. I would hope that I had no idea goldfish got bigger than like three ounces. That's what insane. the this thing is? As the guy who sent me this, this goes nightmare fuel. Oh my god! Can you imagine swimming and seeing the carrot come up Look to at you? This You're thing like swimming around your little lake. <laughs> oh my oh, god! That thing. I mean. Yeah, I like. I really kind of hadn't even considered that there are goldfish in the wild, you know. But there are, and uh, one that's. I mean, that thing is so huge. The belly wow. on it is ridiculous. The gut. Yeah, look at the gut yeah. on it. My God, it looks like it's pregnant. Sixty-seven point four pounds. Wow. Oh. Uh, wow. It is thirty pounds bigger than the previously considered world's biggest goldfish, which was caught by a Minnesota resident, Jane Fugat. <laughs> You break the world record. You almost doubled the world record. This thing is unbelievable. Terrifying. They're, the they're, they're growing big goldfish of in nature. France. It's a, the, the writing in this is great for the New York Post. <laughs> First line, he's going to need Fanta. a bigger bowl. That's tremendous. <laughs> the Fanta-colored <laughs> freak of nature. <laughs> it is wow. Fanta soda-like. I also like the detail that to celebrate catching, he sent the, he sent the carrot back, but then to celebrate, he had a, a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. You got to do good. better than that. Right. I I don't know. I mean, the man caught a 67-pound goldfish. All right. And uh, uh, finally, we got a people's court here. All rise. The Honorable Judge Wenzel, Judge Forty, and Judge Dellinger presiding. This is the people's court. The people's court is dating advice. We have, you know, we're we're big on love here and and relate. Oh, yeah. We want everyone to get together. Um, man, I could do like five people's courts. Maybe we'll do one later in the week too. Uh, this is in the Daily Mail. A woman uh, went out on a date with a uh, with a man, and they're out in the date, and she found the man to be uh, attractive. It says here the woman called him attractive, and then they were sitting at dinner, and he ordered for his drink. A glass of milk. Oh, oh dear. He ordered a glass of milk for his date <laughs> on a dinner. And uh, she has deemed it a massive turnoff. Now, how this is a story in the Daily Mail, this is why the Daily Mail is the greatest news source in, in the world. It Absolutely. really gets the important issues. <laughs> Sparking a massive debate in England, whether she's being too finicky and all that, some people say whatever, but it's like something you would give a child to have an apple is what she thought. Um, 
So our dating advice to the to the guys out there or the women, can you drink milk on a date? No. We're expecting mean, this one, were you? No, yeah, no, we, uh, no, you cannot, no. You, you cannot drink <laughs> milk on a date. Absolutely not. I mean, unless you are hell a no. Previously established spokesperson or something. You know, I mean, no, 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 no. I, I'm with the woman here. That's the red flag. What about Harbaugh? Had, Harbaugh drinks milk. Yeah. Well, milk. That's if, yeah. if you have previously established yourself as a milk guy, and that's part <laughs> of your persona, okay. But even then, I think I might, you know, drink your milk before the date, and then when you go on the date, have a nice glass of wine or something. Even water, right? I mean, just. Yeah, 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 but not milk. No, 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 he's out. It's a little creepy. It's a little weird. <laughs> Ross, milk on a date. Uh, well, sure, you can, uh, but you the date's <laughs> probably not going to end how you want it to end or where you want it to end, for that matter. Also, uh, you know, you want a date to end in a certain way if you're a guy. And milk is, uh, one, a turn off to her. And two, if you drink milk, you know, it's a solid, you know, humans aren't really supposed to drink milk, you know. Like it messes up your system. And so even if the date does end where you want it to end, you might be in a little trouble. You know, you might be in a little, honey, we got to take a break. I've got to go to the bathroom. So I I think you should steer clear of the milk on a date. Steer clear. All right. How about that? Ross getting into the digestive breakdown. Wow, yeah. He really <laughs> well, you're talking to too. somebody who's lactose intolerant. So, okay. Uh, okay. Yes, okay. yes. You're talking to somebody who, who cannot drink, uh, yes, cannot drink milk. And if I do, I know that I've drank milk or cream or some kind of cow. <laughs> Sean, you seem to be outraged. What? We'll let you weigh in on this. Are you a milk on a date guy? I'd have walked out of that date if I was that lady. <laughs> I would have walked out as soon as he placed that order. That is a that's a that uh, milk is fine. I'm cool with milk in certain certain situations, but you can't pull a weirdo move like that out on a date in public. <laughs> First, you, it's just too weird. <laughs> weirdo move. <laughs> it's like too like nobody like. Let's say you're out to a nice restaurant. And you're like ah, a glass of milk, please. Like they even have it. Yeah. They're like, wait, right? We I use that know. to make the cream soup. Like what? Like. <laughs> <laughs> the debate here is what if it was a milkshake the milkshake corollary would that be weird let's say you had a burger and a milkshake well i mean all right if you are going to steak and shake or something yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're like 16 i guess that's okay yeah, right yeah but if you are no if you're a full-grown adult and you're not at steak and shake or some other place McDonald's, where it's burgers yeah. fries and shakes uh-uh don't go into a nice steakhouse and order a milkshake. I don't know what Dahmer drank on his dates, but <laughs> if they told me it was milk. It's it's weird. It's weird. I got to say, I'm usually, you know, the guys out there, maybe give them a second chance, discuss it if you found them attractive otherwise. But yeah, the milk mustache, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Here you go. If you're If you're looking for love out there, uh, <laughs> this is our dating advice. If you're, you're looking for love, you're not going to find it order in milk. milk. Don't order milk on a date. You'll you'll end up in the Daily Mail, like and and getting ripped so, on this podcast, and getting ripped on. Yeah, no milk. All right, we'll be back with the uh, uh, race for the case. Uh, plenty more games. Appreciate everyone listening. Awesome time of year, and uh, keep subscribing. Tell your friends about us. Share us on social media. We'll be out earlier with race of the case. We yeah. know 
a lot of people are driving, traveling on Wednesday, so we'll have it out as soon as we can to uh, uh, help you with that or Thursday morning. So, And everyone have a good Thanksgiving. If, uh, well, we'll wish you Thanksgiving again. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll say nice pleasantries about the holiday on the race if, for the case. If you haven't heard this before the Wednesday night, like everyone goes to the bar thing, you know, right? Enjoy that, too. It's awesome. That's time of the year. Football, food, and booze. Like, pretty mm-hmm. much it. Pretty much it for us. All right. Talk to you later.